Welcome back to yet another episode of Ball with Y'all. Today is May 4th, and we are well on our way into the summer months. Well, I guess we're only a few weeks away from summer at this point in time, but I basically feel like summer's begun now that we are in the month of May. Of course, it's been two weeks since we last spoke, uh, I guess late April, right? We took a little bit of a two-week break there. As part of our new backdrop here, our new studio, so glad to welcome you to our new studio down here in South Florida. A lot of new things are happening over the coming weeks and coming months, as I alluded to, uh, I guess two weeks ago, when I mentioned that, that we will be taking a bit of a break here after the month of May to to sort through our season three, which will begin uh, in uh, late August as well. So a lot of exciting things happening here for Ball With Y'all. Thank you for tuning in today, whether that's on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Radio Public Breaker, YouTube at BWI Productions, any other platform that I may or may not have mentioned that you somehow found us on. I appreciate it and uh, so glad you chose to join us today and hopefully you'll check out some of our past episodes as well. Now I always say it, but I'm going to say it again, we have a full episode like we always do. Of course, just a few, two days ago, at this point in time, Chase Elliott won his first race of the NASCAR Sprint Cup, is it just the cup, I guess at this point, NASCAR Cup Series of 2022. His first win on an oval since uh, 2020, November 2020 at Phoenix and Martinsville respectively. So massive moment there. Uh, suffice to say, I was very excited. So we'll get into some of that. Talk about what all that means <clears throat> moving forward. Then we'll, of course, talk about what we saw this past week in the NFL draft. The NFL draft went from Thursday to Saturday this past weekend. A lot to dissect there. A big weekend if you are an SEC fan. So we'll get into some of that. And then lastly, I have not talked about it to this point, but I will get into the NBA playoffs. Now that we are currently in the second round, almost about to get into the semis before we get into the NBA finals. So preview some of that. Of course, I know we've already had some games already unfold with the uh, the Boston Celtics and Milwaukee Bucks play, uh, facing off, uh, I guess, Sunday. So a lot of moving parts there, but I'll give you a little bit of my thoughts, you know, thoughts that don't really matter a whole lot given the fact that I don't watch too much basketball but hey we hit the mark with March Madness so who knows how this thing could go with that being said let's get into story number one on Sunday I was so excited I had a feeling I had a really good feeling I thought you know what Chase could do it Chase could win this week he was starting, I believe, fourth on Sunday, right alongside Kyle Larson, behind Denny Hamlin and Chris Busher on that front line. I had a good feeling. Fast car in practice, fast car in qualifying. They didn't spin out like half the field did during practice and qualifying. So I had a pretty good feeling, right? You know, last year, Hendrick Motorsports, they went one, two, three, four. Of course, in that one race at Dover where Alex Bowman ended up winning the race. And suffice to say, the Monster Mile did not disappoint this time around either. Now, of course, the race did get pushed back to Monday due to rain, which was unfortunate, to say the least, but you know, we make do with what we got, right? You knew Hendrick was going to do well. You thought Gibbs could do well. We talked about Hamlin starting up at the front, and he did really well for a long time, actually, on Monday. He, he ran up toward the front. I believe he won Stage 2, and then toward the end of Stage 2, he proceeded to his his front tire changer didn't get his didn't get his lug nut on quite too well and he drove off and his tire beat him to the line 
which is frowned upon. And of course, you it's an uncontrolled tire, you lose your track position, and then on top of that, he now has lost his crew chief, his his tire changer, I believe his front left tire changer, and his jackman for the next four races, which includes uh, <clears throat> Darlington, of course, Kansas, the All-Star Race, and Charlotte. So a big blow there for the Hamlin team. A, a, a pit team that's been doing really well as of late. I believe they've been at the top of the league, if not toward the top of the league in pit times and, and so on. So a, a a really unfortunate result for them, especially given the, the track position they had and the, the pace that they had throughout the day. On top of that, you saw you saw Larson. He looked really good, of course. He Starting alongside Chase Elliott on that second row, he looked really good. One stage one, I believe, or, or started at the front of stage one. Uh, I forget how that worked out. But he, he was le- actually he was leading at the end of the rain delay, or when the rain delay, I guess, began on Sunday. And, and Larson looked good, of course. Then he spun and blew a couple tires, which was unfortunate for those of you who support Kyle Larson. Uh, but, you know, blown tires were a repeated theme throughout the day. It wasn't just Larson. Uh, you know, Reddick, he spun out at one point in time. We talked about all the, the situations in practice with Byron spinning out. And I forget who all spun out, but there were a number of guys. I'm pretty sure Reddick spun out in practice, too. A number of guys who just pushed a little too hard and either blew a tire or spun out or both, right? <clears throat> a repeated theme throughout the weekend. And it was really interesting to see how these cars responded to those situations. Now, as far as Chase Elliott goes, now we know I am a Chase Elliott fan. We know that I was ecstatic when I saw that result go final Monday afternoon. When I saw the Twitter, because of course I was in a meeting when Chase won the race, which is so fitting, right? But I was ecstatic to go through Twitter and see Chase Elliott wins at Dover. It was remarkable. It, it, I didn't know how to react, right? And I'm beginning to wonder if I'm ever going to see Chase win a full race. And I say that, of course, I started watching NASCAR regularly in the, uh, in the spring of 2021. And Chase's first ra- the three races he's won since... <clears throat> We're at the Circuit of the Americas in Austin, Texas, where, of course, you guys recall, we talked about it before, uh, rain-shortened race, and, which had a number of issues in and of itself, but the rain-shortened race probably would not have won had they not been had it not been a rain-shortened race, but nonetheless, a rain-shortened race. And then, 4th of July, at Road America, I was not watching because it was the 4th of July, and he won there. And then, lastly, this past Monday, where I, of course, much like most of corporate America, was working while the race was taking place. So I'm beginning to wonder if I'm ever going to see a full Chase Elliott win. Now, of course, this is where the modern invention of the DVR works out in my favor. But nonetheless, I would tend to like to see the full race from start to finish, if possible. Now, of course, I loved this win. I think it's a big win. I think it keeps the pace with with his Hendrick teammates, with with Bowman and Byron and Larson. Of course, they had all had double uh, more than one win. Since he last won, um, with Byron winning twice this year, Bowen winning uh, once this year and, one, and multiple times last year, Larson, of course, winning basically every race last year as well. This was a massive win for him, of course. The first oval win that he had in like a year and a half, like I mentioned, with Martinsville and Phoenix in, in route to his championship run in 2020. And on the bright side, he still has the points lead as well. So I don't want to get too far ahead of myself, but I think... This could make him the title frontrunner, right alongside, not frontrunner, make him a frontrunner, if you will, right alongside Ross Chastain, right alongside William Byron, 
these folks who have been consistent all year long, and here we are, Chase Elliott has been consistent all year long, and now he has a win to his name. And now we know he's virtually locked into the playoffs. So, pretty strong position here if you are a Chase Elliott supporter. And honestly, I think he's in a really good position for the playoffs come uh, August, September, October, November. It's a really good position for Chase at this point in time. Some other observations that I, I kind of made during this race. <clears throat> Has anyone heard from, from Kevin Harvick? Have you heard from Kevin Harvick? Have you seen him, right? I, I think I actually saw his picture on the back of one of those milk cartons, the, the you know, cannot find, please contact if you know any information kind of thing. I have not seen Kevin Harvick anywhere. Um, he's been a non-factor basically all year. I know he did well at Phoenix um, two months ago, but lost to his teammate in the form of Chase Briscoe. I feel like I'm. I feel like I'm waiting for something. I feel like I'm waiting for him to actually become relevant. And of course, he didn't win at all last year, right? He has not won to this point this year. And I know he's he's up there in age, right? And I know he's about to retire. But still, there has to be some sort of expectation when a guy on your team like Chase Briscoe has won, right? Now, of course, the flip side of it is Cole Custer has not won, right? Eric Almarola has not won since New Hampshire last year, I think. So there's some margin for error, if you will. But when you're being held, when other guys are being held to this certain standard, and Kevin Harvick is not being held to that standard, I think it raises some questions as to what we are looking at and where his team, and particularly himself, are going. Now, as far as someone who I really like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go on a limb here, and I'm going to say that Brad Keselowski is going to make the playoffs. We talked about it before, that I, I thought Keselowski could do it, that he needed to win, but then he also needed some points to work out in his favor. We've talked about this ad nauseum. We get it, right? <clears throat> but I don't think Kurt Busch is going to make the playoffs. I don't think Christopher Bell is going to make the playoffs. And to that point, I would say it's more likely that Brad Keselowski and his teammate Chris Buescher make the playoffs because they've been incredibly consistent to this point in time. I love what Roush Fenway Keselowski racing is doing right now. And some of these other guys who made the playoffs last year, like Kurt Busch and Christopher Bell, just are not hitting it at the right time. So, I mean, they could make the playoffs, but I really, I don't know how quite yet. I know that, that Brad Keselowski needs to win, and they need the points to work out in his favor. But as it stands right now, I'm not too, I wouldn't be too too surprised, honestly, if Brad Keselowski, Keselowski was to make the playoffs. As far as this week, this Sunday, Mother's Day Sunday, we have the annual throwback race at Darlington in South Carolina in the Palmetto State. Now, who do we like this week? Before we get into that, I want to talk about some really important uh, element to this race that I always love and I, I hope you'll enjoy it as well. The throwback themes, right? This is an annual thing that they do and, and there's different you know, rhymes or reason they do this, but basically great tradition. You know, There's a ton of great throwback schemes that these, these cars and teams are running. Uh, I love Corey LaJoy. He's driving that pink uh, number 777 car, honoring Marty Robbins from 1964. You don't often see three numbers on a car, so pretty cool to see there. William Byron, of course, he is driving the iconic Jeff Gordon, the Exalta, which I guess at that point in time was DuPont. Uh, Flames car from 2007, Flames Scheme. Uh, it's one you don't forget, right? From 2007 when Jeff Gordon was on top of the world, on top of the NASCAR world. And then Kurt Busch, of course, he drives a McDonald's car on occasion, but he'll be driving the McDonald's car this Sunday in honor of Bill Elliott, the scheme that he ran in 1996. And of course, Bill Elliott will actually be in the booth on Sunday for stage three. So pretty cool moment there. 
Now, as far as the, as far as guys to watch this week, Denny Hamlin, right? Average finish of seventh place in 19 races and four wins for Mr. Hamlin. Truex Jr., Martin Truex Jr., his average finish is 11th in 19 races with two wins. And Kyle Busch with an average finish of 12th in 20 races and one win. So as you as you can see, Gibbs is pretty good at this track, right? The only Gibbs driver I did not mention there was Christopher Bell, and I just told you I was not going to make the playoffs. So take that as you may. One other guy I would like to see how well he does, I just mentioned him, Kevin Harvick, right? At this track in 28 races, average finish of 12th, and he's won three times. So there is precedent to say that he could do well here. I have no reason I think he will do well here this year, but he could, and he's shown us that he has done it before. Now, who do I like this week? Well, there's one name that I did not mention that always has strong finishes at Darlington, and that man is Eric Jones, driving the 43 car in eight career races. He has an average finish of 10th at this track, and he's won here before. He has one win at this track and has finished in the top five in half of his races at this track. And four, four different occasions, he's finished in the top five. That's a pretty good reason, right? And we saw him run well at Talladega, and I would tend to think he'll run well this Sunday as well. So I will take Eric Jones to win it this Sunday at Darlington. On to story number two. I don't know about you, but... I believe in hell, which is a pretty stark thing to say to open up story number two in hindsight. And this is not a religious thing. This I don't really want to go too far down this path, but I believe there is a hell, right? And I believe it's a real place, and I believe that we only experience it after death. I believe that it's separate from earth, right? There's, there's earth and then there's there's heaven and then there's hell right just to kind of really generally use general terms here don't want to get too much into the weeds of it but there is an earth and there is a hell right well i thought that earth and hell were, were separate ideas i did i really really did believe that until this past weekend you might be thinking sean it's a little bit outlandish to say considering you just said that you believe in hell yeah but i lived a hell on earth this past weekend I, I it's like I realized my personal hell on earth if you will that hell on earth came during the NFL draft well I guess it was Thursday Friday and Saturday for that matter where for the most part Georgia set a draft record with 15 guys getting drafted in this year's class and you know the funny thing about it was before the before the, the the draft started Thursday night, I turned to my mom and I said verbatim, I said that my personal hell would be if the number one overall pick goes to a Georgia Bulldog. Of course, there were a couple of different options out there. There was a North Carolina State Wolfpack um, offensive tackle. You had Evan Neal from Alabama. You had Aiden Hutchinson from Michigan. There were a few options out there. And I said my personal hell would be that a Georgia player is selected first overall in the NFL draft. And then guess what happened? That was only just the beginning. I thought that was it. I was like, oh, that couldn't possibly get worse from there. No, it did get worse from there. There were five Georgia players drafted in the first round. Okay, cool. Doesn't really seem like a lot, but that's fine. But two of them went to my team, the Green Bay Packers. And I was like, well, this just even gets better and better, doesn't it? 
first they pick a guy at 22 and then they pick another guy at 28 and i was like wow this is great last year we picked a georgia bulldog in the first round of the, of the nfl draft and we're going to do it again this year and then we're going to do it again this year and it's remarkable right but again it was the beginning of the end for me because i did not realize that the packers were only contributing to something that was going to set a record across the board and in fact they were just digging the knife a little bit deeper in my soul as a guy who doesn't really like georgia a whole lot right i'll give them credit for where credit's due but it kind of pains me to watch them do as well as they have in this situation now coming in in a not so uh not so second as far as draft picks lsu had 10 guys drafted and alabama had seven guys drafted as well some other guys who signed as undrafted free agents across the board, but 7, 10, and 15 respectively for Alabama, LSU, and Georgia. Now, obviously, Georgia won the draft by, you know, heads and shoulders above everyone else. They won the draft, to say the least, right? But one thing I want to point out, the last time we saw a team do nearly as well as, as Georgia did here in the draft was LSU in 20. I guess it was after the 2019 season, the 2019-20 season, when they had like 14 guys get drafted, right? And of course, we're all familiar what happened shortly thereafter, where they went 5-5 five and five or 4-6 and six in the 2020 COVID year, and then proceeded to fire their head coach the, the next year, right? And not to say that, that that's, there will be parallels here, right? But I would tend to say that we've seen that there is a bit of a, of a precedent that a lot could happen in the next 24 months for the Georgia football program if Kirby Smart doesn't have a head in the right direction. So I'll be interested to see what he does there. And, uh, you know, hopefully this is a sign of things to come in a positive way for Georgia. But you never know how things could unfold. Who else won the draft? Uh, well, I'd say Ole Miss. They had uh, six draft picks, which is a strong, strong class in Kiffin's second year wrap after wrapping up Kiffin's second year with the Rebels. A&M, they had only four guys drafted, but you know, considering some of that was represented in the in, in night one in the first round, I'd say Jimbo can call that a win. Jimbo would call anything a win, but he can call that a win for his program or and for the Aggies. As far as who lost the draft, well, you know, there's one team that I'll always, when given the opportunity to, point out where they, they fell just a tad short. And in this case... It was the Auburn Tigers. Auburn had one draft pick on, uh, on I think it was actually night one. Or maybe, no, it may have been night two. In any case, throughout all three days of the NFL draft, one draft pick, which if as if Brian Harson needed another, another reason to dissuade players from coming to his university, well, that's a great reason right there. Hey, you're not actually going to get drafted. So, um disappointing to say the least if you're an Auburn Tiger uh, fan, player, coach, whoever, uh, someone who wants Brian Harson to keep his job. Not a good performance there. Also, Missouri and Mississippi State only had two picks each, but I think that goes to show you that this year in particular will be a big year for them both. From a recruiting standpoint, they could have used strong draft classes this year. Of course, they didn't get them, but they could have used them, right? I think especially for Eli Drinkowitz, going into what is, I think, year three now for him? He needs to show up big here in year three. I think I would tend to say that the pressure is ramping up just a little bit on Eli Drinkowitz, and even to some degree, Mike Leach. We've talked about that before, how year three tends to be a, a line of demarcation for 
Mike Leach-led teams. But, you know, these draft classes aren't exactly good omens for what is coming ahead. The other side of things is that this draft class was kind of weak across the board, right? This year's draft class was, was kind of, wasn't didn't have a whole lot of talent, with a lot of talented quarterbacks or whatever else. So I wanted to look ahead to next year's draft. I want to say, like, okay, who, who will stand out a year from now? Well, uh, suffice to say, the SEC is going to have a good year next year. Let's just go through a couple of the names. <clears throat> you know Will Anderson Jr. and Bryce Young and Eli Ricks and Jameer Gibbs and Jordan Battle for Alabama, right? You know Kayshawn Butte and B.J. Ojolari and Seven Banks, right, for LSU. You know about Jalen Carter and Keely Ringo and Nolan Smith for Georgia. And, and, and of course, Anthony Richardson. People forget about him, but... Florida's quarterback could be really good this year and set himself up for a really good draft uh, draft pick just a year from now. And and going through, of course, there's some other great guys outside the SEC with Smith and Jigba from, from Ohio State and C.J. Stroud and a number of other guys. But a lot of those names I just mentioned right there, they're probably going to be top 15, top 20. And uh, you just have to imagine that it's going to be a lot of fun next year. If we thought we had a good class this year, which we didn't have a great class, but, uh, you know, a class nonetheless, just imagine how much better it will be in a year's time. So overall, a strong NFL draft for the SEC, a strong NFL draft for the Georgia Bulldogs, much to my dismay, a strong NFL draft for a number of other teams out there. The, the, the New York Jets got some great picks. The Atlanta Falcons got some great picks. The Tennessee Titans got some great picks. With that, actually, I believe Tennessee even picked up an Arkansas player in the process. So, an overall great draft across the board for a lot of different folks, and uh, hopefully, it sets up for another great one in 2023. Speaking of, let's go to story number three. I had not talked about the NBA draft too expect or the NBA draft, the NBA playoffs too extensively to this point. In fact, I've kind of avoided it because, you know, I, I mentioned it before that I hadn't watched too much college basketball this year. And I, I said, well, March Madness, I have no choice, right? I have to talk about college basketball during March Madness. That's only natural. And we did it. We did it pretty well. And I, and I sat back and I said, okay, I'll watch the first round of the NBA playoffs just to get a sense as to what I'm looking at, right? And naturally... All top eight teams won, right? One through four in both conferences won their won their matchups, and here they are now in the second round. Of course, we saw some games on Sunday, some more games throughout the past couple of days as well. Some pretty fun matchups. And in full disclosure, before I get too far down the rabbit hole here, I do want to make it clear: my team didn't even make the playoffs, so I have no. Well, I do have bias here, but not for not for those particular reasons. I don't have a dog in the fight, right? I do have a dog that doesn't like some of those dogs in the fight, <clears throat> which will inform some of my decisions here. But overall, I don't really have a dog in the fight. I don't really have a reason. I don't have a rooting interest in a lot of this stuff. So really, this I try to think this is relatively, relatively objective. Not entirely, but close, right? Uh, as it stands now, of course, we got Miami, Boston, Milwaukee, and Philadelphia in the east. In the west, we have Phoenix, Memphis, Golden State, and Dallas out on the west coast of things. On Sunday, I saw briefly that Memphis, uh, they got they got just slightly squeaked by, or Golden State squeaked by Memphis, and then, of course, Milwaukee, they topped Boston despite being short-handed. The other two series, they look like they'll be a lot of fun as well, but you always know the 2-3 matchups are going to be pretty good. So I imagine that the Boston-Milwaukee matchup will be, will be pretty fun, 
and uh, the Memphis Golden State matchup will be pretty fun as well compared to the other two counterparts, of course. Now, one team in particular I've had the chance to watch this year was you know I went I went to a Miami game back in I guess February or so. And at that time, by that point in time, they didn't have Kyle Lowry, right? And and they ended up losing to Toronto in triple overtime. And at that point, I wasn't a believer. I said, I don't really get what's so special about this team. Miami's supposed to be number one in their in their conference and in their division, but I don't really get it, right? But I had friends who said, oh, no, 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 just just wait, just wait, and you'll get it, and you'll understand where we are going as a team. And I said, okay, right? Prove me wrong. And then I saw their defense against Atlanta in the last series, so as, as recently as a week ago, where they, they hounded Trey Young. I honestly felt bad for the Hawks point guard that night and throughout that series because they just looked awful compared to that Miami defense. They're facing off against that Miami defense, who's just so lengthy, so agile, they can go across the board pretty easily. It's pretty incredible to watch, honestly. And of course, plus Miami's got, got the sharpshooters on the outside with Duncan Robinson and and Tyler Hero. Oh, and by the way, Victor Oladipo, who is incredible for, for Indianapolis and a number of other teams, I think Houston as well. He might have been in Orlando. He's finally now found, found a bit of a home in Miami, and he's actually playing really well at the right time. He's overcoming his injuries, so all credit to him as well. So uh, a scary lineup for the Heat. I know Milwaukee got through Game 1 against Boston, but if anybody... If anybody was to give Miami a chance or give Miami a run, I would say that Boston could do it, right? I love Jason Tatum. I think he's an incredibly gifted athlete, right? We just saw them sweep Brooklyn in the first round of the playoffs. Brooklyn, a team that's got Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving and DeAndre Jordan and Blake Griffin and LaMarcus Aldridge and Patty Mills and Goran Dragic. Ah, see, there's been so many moving parts. I, I struggle, but... What what would would have been basically an all-star team six years ago, and for the most part, it's still a pretty decent team, got swept pretty easily by the Celtics. So if anybody can do it, I think, if anybody can challenge Boston's, I mean, challenge Miami's defensive length, I think Boston could, in theory, do it. As for the West, I mentioned I didn't have any bias, right, which I don't have bias in favor of a team, but I do have bias against some teams, right? I hate just about every team that's out there in the West for different reasons, right? Um... You know, I'm a Spurs fan, so I can't support teams in our division. I can't support the Memphis Grizzlies, and I can't support the Dallas Mavericks. Again, because they're in the Southwest Division, so as a result, just it's against my being. I can't do it. And of course, Golden State, I will never forgive them for what they did in 2017 when they broke Kawhi Leonard, and then we never got him back, and that was just the end of that. Thank you, Zaza Pachulia. I very much appreciate you. And then Phoenix, you know, of all teams, I guess I dislike them the least, but Chris Paul is just so He's just, he's just not a good dude, right? Chris Paul, their point guard, just not a good guy. And he's a guy where you want to root for him, but then he, he acts the way he does, and you begin to realize he's just not a good dude. You see him in those State Farm commercials, you're like, oh, he's, he's a likable guy. No, he's not a likable guy. He's a very bad dude. And as a result, I really struggle to root for him as well. So in my perfect world, I hope an East team wins it, quite honestly. And all that said... I do think that Golden State finds a way. You know, whether I want them to or not, I think their window's closing a little bit, if you will. It's been closing out for a while, and this could be one of their last few runs. And uh, I think in particular, <clears throat> this team, with the competition they're facing, it's a pretty good matchup across the board. Of course, with Klay Thompson and Jordan Poole 
and Steph Curry and all those boys, Draymond Green's still there, they stand to do really well this year in the Western side of things. In the East, I'm split, honestly, between Boston and Miami. I don't really know, right? I told you I really like Boston. I told you what I've seen about Miami, right? Miami is really the only team that I've watched with any degree of of frequency. I've watched Miami more this year than I have my own team because the Spurs weren't on TV anywhere because they're bad. But, you know, nonetheless. I've only seen one of those teams in person, like I mentioned. And that night, although it was a triple overtime loss, they were very impressive. Not having Kyle Lowry watching Jimmy Butler go for a triple-double some guys I never heard of going out there. And also they had Dwayne Dedman, former San Antonio Spur. I can't root against Dwayne Dedman. I love Dwayne Dedman. He's an incredible player. He's been bouncing around forever. I don't know if he's still in the league. But nonetheless, a great player. So all that said, I will take Miami to come out of the East and beat Golden State in the NBA Finals. In, let's go five games. So if you're a Miami Heat fan, I want you to channel your inner England because it's coming home. The NBA Finals Larry O'Brien Trophy is coming home. If I'm right. If I'm wrong, I'm sorry. But if I'm right, it's coming home. And that'll do it for today's episode. Hopefully, we made some ground today and hopefully enjoyed a little bit of, of today's episode. Of course, looking ahead to Darlington this coming Sunday, I don't really expect Chase Elliott to put on a repeat performance, but... I would love for it to happen, but I really do like Eric Jones to continue Chevy's recent run of success in the NASCAR Cup Series. Looking at the NFL Draft, of course, we saw that the Georgia Bulldogs did really well, right? And all credit to them, right? It made it made my life fall apart over a couple of days. I, I was almost deteriorating from the inside, but all credit to them. Good job, Georgia. I'd like to see you do it again. And hopefully they will, right? I'd love to see you continue the success. I know people hate sustained excellence i'd love to see georgia do it so we'll see how that unfolds but you never know as we saw in next year's class they're going to do pretty well just as well in just a few months and of course i believe with my limited knowledge on the nba right now that the miami heat will win yet another larry o'brien trophy in the nba finals in just a few weeks and i imagine we'll probably talk about the nba finals as we get closer to the NBA Finals. Um, of course, we are in the middle of the NHL playoffs right now as well, so there's a lot of different things going on, right? And we'll try to balance as best we can, but just a reminder, there are only three more episodes after today of Season 2. We have an episode on March 11th, an episode on March 18th, and lastly, a March... Ep- or Mar- March. Well, I've been saying March this whole time. <laughs> May 11th, May 18th, and May 25th. Those will be our last three episodes of Season 2, and then we'll get started a few weeks after uh, the SEC Media Days in about mid-August or so. So, like always, I, I hope you enjoyed today's show, right? I hope you enjoy all of the games and, and, and storylines that will come out over the next week, and trust me, we'll be talking about that next week as well. So, as always, I appreciate you giving us your time, and I appreciate you allowing us to talk some ball with you.